am Trudy Morgan Cole, and once again, it is time for an episode of Shelf Esteem, the podcast where I talk to interesting people about books that they find interesting, just like always. But of course, this month's episode, April 2020, not at all like always. I say April, it might be the beginning of May before I get it posted, but I'm recording this on April 29th, which is exactly six weeks to the day since I walked out of my office at work for the last time and into this strange new world that we find ourselves in. And uh, as a result, the podcast, of course, is a bit different. One thing you may not know about this podcast is, and it is the sort of thing that would really only matter to the person who's doing it, but I've never used phone call or Skype or Zoom or any remote way of setting up these podcasts. Every one of the 32 podcasts I've done over the last three years has been a face-to-face conversation with two or three other people um, that I invite into my basement studio and we sit down and talk about books. And obviously we can't do that now. The last one I did uh, with uh, Russell Wangerski and Leslie Reinhook was also the last day you were sort of allowed or encouraged to have other people in your house. Uh, so we kind of got under the wire there uh, in the middle of March. And yet I don't want to let the podcast go for however long that it's going to be that we're in lockdown or quarantine or whatever you want to call it. Uh, So I decided to try a Zoom podcast and I invited four of my closest friends, because your friends are the people you need during a time like this, to talk about reading in a time of pandemic. And my guests tonight are visual artist and writer Jennifer Morgan, novelist Tina Chalk, and writer, actor, and storyteller Christine Hennebury. And we're all going to talk about what and how we're reading in the current strange times that we're living in. So one of the things that people have said a lot uh, in the lead up to being quarantined or or housebound or locked down or whatever we're saying uh, is, oh, we'll have so much more time to read. I'll get caught up on all this reading. Uh, And then since it started, I've heard a lot of people saying, oh, I haven't been able to read at all. So I'd love to know from each one of you what your experience is in the last five or six weeks, because we're all in different situations. Are you reading more or less than usual, more or less than you thought you would be? Uh, What's your reading during pandemic uh, experience been like? Christine? Well, I'm actually surprised at how much my life is following a fairly normal rhythm because I work from home anyway. Um, So, and a lot of my things have just moved online. So a lot of the rhythm of my days have stayed the same. So it's not like I've opened up all these areas in which I could read. However, my times that I, I normally read and when I'm having tea in the morning or before I go to bed, something like that, I have found that I have to be really careful what I am reading. I don't seem to have the same sort of concentration to really sink into a book. I have to keep it uh, pretty, pretty light. Things that I can, if I zone out, it's easy for me to get back into. Uh, that sort of thing. And that's when I talk about the authors I'm reading later, that's no insult to them, or perhaps it's a, a compliment to them because I can immediately pick back up and without having to go back and reread. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I do definitely get that about things needing to be to be kind of easy to drop into. What about you, Jennifer? Yeah, um, yeah. I was reading a lot before the pandemic, and I was just really enjoying working my way through my Christmas books. And you know, I, I had the stack over here next to my bed, and I um, from which I am recording um, <laughs> this. 
I interview. And um, so it's kind of interesting. And like Christine, you know, my reading is in the morning and in the evening. And I um, didn't have a lot of appointments. Like I, I was going to the plantation about 10, 10 ish. But if I was into a really good, uh, which is where my studio is mm-hmm. uh, at the plantation in Kitty Vitty Gut. But if I was reading a book in the morning that really caught my interest, I'd read a little longer and have a more relaxed entry into my work and then read a little bit at nighttime before I went to bed. When the pandemic came, I, when the shutdown came, I, I spent two days just reading and uh, news and, and catching up with my backlogged telegrams, which I hadn't been reading and, um, and online, you know, stuff. And so then I just started going to the, to my studio, which was empty except for me mostly. And, um, and I was listening to anything that wasn't about the pandemic. I listened to audiobooks and I didn't have time to read because I was getting home later and going to bed tired and in the morning getting up and going to the plantation. So I I actually have been reading less in terms of visually reading, but I was uh, working my through, way through a lot of audiobooks but my audiobooks were all um, pretty um, escapist mm-hmm. literature. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about you, Tina? What's your pandemic reading experience been like? Well, I'm still working full time from home, so I haven't had like a lot of free time. But I would say I'm. I think I'm reading more, more than I was before. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely reading more news. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, as we kind as we kind of settle into the pandemic, I started wanting to read apocalyptic fiction and stuff. So that's what I started doing. I started rereading some stuff I read before and watching TV shows and movies that are post apocalyptic. I think because most of them are worse than what we're going through. So, mm. so are you one of those people who, are going through? I should say. Yeah, are you one of those people who has watched Contagion on Netflix? I watched Contagion before, and uh-huh. I said it was the scariest movie I'd ever seen, and I would never uh-huh. watch it again. And then when the pandemic started, everybody started talking about it again. I thought, maybe I'll just watch it. So I watched it with my husband, and um, it's, again, it was much worse than what we're going through here right now in Newfoundland anyway. Yeah. So well, um, it, it wasn't as scary. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you specifically about that apocalyptic uh, reading in a few minutes, because I'm really curious about that. I think my feeling has been a lot more, um, well, like what Jennifer said, escapist literature. Um, I don't know that it's escapist as much. What's What I found really interesting in the pandemic is I haven't hardly been able to read anything new. I've had new books lined up, even ones that I was excited about and looking forward to. I had one that I had had a wait on the library on the ebook for like six months and it came in and I just, I let the hold elapse because I was like, 
I cannot, I can't wrap my brain around a new book now. And all I've been doing is rereading old favorites, almost. Uh, the last, almost the last new book I read was The Mirror and the Light by Hilary Mantel, which was right before my work closed down. And even that was the conclusion to a series I'd already read. Um, and then I reread another series that I love, uh, Catherine Fox's Linchester novels. And now I'm rereading my favorite books of all time, which is Dorothy L. Sayers' Lord Peter Whimsey Mysteries. Um, it's just like my brain can't handle a lot of new stuff. It can only handle things that are already familiar and feel safe and comfortable. So I don't know. If that's really? That's me. strange for you because you're such an avid reader. Well, I'm still an like I'm reading a lot, but I'm reread almost everything is is rereads. I just I feel safer knowing how things are going to turn out. Yeah. I think it's, it's comfort <laughs> food predictable than rereading a book you love. Christine, you said that that you were looking for reading that was, or you were drawn towards reading that was, I guess, fairly light and easy to get into, easy to pick up and put down. So what have you been reading in the last little while? So I've read um, two books by Kelly Armstrong. Uh, one, of, one part is her Rockton series, which is uh, set in the remote north. And... The and it was, so that's sort of detective fiction, and I have read another book by her. It's a part of the Kate and Logan series, from which is a spin-off from her uh, Women of the Other World series. And I've read Patricia Briggs's latest uh, in the Mercy Thompson series. So these are all characters that I'm familiar with, but these are those characters in new situations. Uh, and I've been reading uh, Shannon McGuire's uh, Encrypted series out loud to my son at night. Okay. And I've read, uh, and I'm just started uh, Ursula Vernon's book Sword Heart that she's writing as T. Kingfisher there. So it's uh, even though I haven't read anything in that particular series before, it is set in a familiar universe, and her writing is so friendly that you can you can dive right into it. So this is it's very. It's not that the plots aren't complex or anything, but it's not. I don't know. It's it's. I guess it's familiar, and it's it's a very very accessible sort of reading to right now. It's not requiring me to change my world view or consider these huge, massive things. It's like here's a story I'm going to tell you. So that's very. It's it's friendly for right now, and I I stay very far away under all circumstances from apocalyptic fiction. Anyway, it's very much too heavy for me. So I would definitely not lean toward it right now yeah i i think i think that's some of the same thing of what i'm looking for in rereading old favorites is that it's accessible um and I, yeah i need to read something that's not going to make my brain work too hard because i feel like all this is kind of tiring my brain a bit anyway uh so uh -huh. yeah yeah but those all sound I like have, great picks i have two so excellent is, books here on my shelf i have okay. starless sea uh, yeah. Aaron Morgenstern and I, I started reading that but that was that was in the before times yeah. or as my friend Mary's been putting it before the sickness came um, <laughs> and so I started reading that but I, I couldn't get back it, it, it was asking too much of me mm -hmm. and I also have Eden Robinson's uh, Son of a Trickster on my shelf and again mm -hmm. I can't I can't bring myself there right now yeah. so it's not against books. either of those authors yeah. Yeah, both excellent books, but maybe this is just not the right time for them. Exactly. Um, Jennifer, what about you? What what have you been reading that qualifies, or reading or listening to, because you said a lot of yours was audiobooks, uh, that yeah. qualifies as, as escapist or giving you a break from the news? 
Oh, yeah, no, I've been working my way through an audio uh, mystery series. Okay. Um, by Deborah Crombie. I think I've got her name right. Um, and uh, this is uh, with um, Douglas Kincaid and Gemma James, and they are living in London. And so I'm vicariously able to visit all these London neighborhoods that I love to visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's one of the things that it makes it great is these great settings. They're also a very idyllic couple. Like uh, they work together and they fall in love and they, they, they you know, they, they've got this blended family with these little boys and a, a little girl at one point. And uh, so the subplot is, is kind of uh, intriguing. And of course, you know, it's a murder mystery. So, you know that justice will prevail, that, yes. that good will vindicate. It's, it's a real safe read. That, mm. that there's an intriguing puzzle that you're trying to solve along with the, uh, with the, um, the detectives, but justice will prevail at the end. And it's not great literature, but, you know, uh, you know, sometimes she drops characters and doesn't really develop them. You know, but it, you know, she, you know, great sense of place in where she said situates stuff. And, um, and I just like being in the room with these people. That's mm. basically it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like I usually have rules, you know, like if I read something that's just um, f- escapism for me, um, then my next read should be something that's more uh, literary fiction or something that was recommended or, you know, something, Mm -hmm. you know, a little more challenging. And um, I, I, my rules are out, you know, you know, I don't, this is all just, what do I feel like reading? Oh, let's find out more about that couple. Um, I did um, uh, download Far From the Matting Crowd Uh uh, also, from the library because um, we saw the 2018 movie the Thomas, okay. the, with Thomas Hardy, based on Thomas Hardy book. And um, I was really intrigued. It's, um, it's just another one of these um, spunky uh, female heroines written by, from a male perspective and um, I wanted to know whether the movie, the, the contemporary movie, was um, giving her a more spunky presentation than the author had. You know, like, like is this, you know, a, a feminist revisionist? Now, the, the writer, uh, the script writer, the screenwriter, and the producer were both males, but you know, it, it just, uh, she feels like such a contemporary woman. And um, so I wanted to read it. And I, I uh, this was during the pandemic, uh, during the set shutdown. So I downloaded it and started reading the first chapter and was really turned off. I realized that we're not going to be inside her head. We're going to be outside looking at her mm. from the perspective of the men in her life. And that really discouraged me. But I've just gotten back into re- listening, rereading it. I'm not listening to this one. I'm actually reading it. And back into reading it. And 
I'm enjoying it. And I think much like you said about rereading some books, because I've seen the movie and then before that saw the BBC series, which was even better, the, the latest BBC series of Friar from the Madden Crowd, which was a long time ago, actually, maybe about 15, 20 years ago. Um, that was had more meat to it because it was a, tele, a, a television series, had more time to it and fleshed it out. Uh, but I, um, so I'm really just reading it for the enjoyment of Hardy's storytelling. And he, he really is a good storyteller, you know, like he really uh, introduces um change and action it's really action-packed you know and it, the movie actually was fairly close to uh to the the sequence of events and the um the way uh everdeen play uh ms everdeen acts so i was really uh interesting uh, interested in that and the other reason why i did want to read it now that i'm thinking about it is i hadn't recognized the first time that her name was Everdeen. And that made me think of Katniss Everdeen in The Hunger Games. Yes, of Games. course, yeah. Right? And so I looked that up in Wikipedia, and sure enough, what's her name? Who wrote The Hunger Games? The Hunger Games. Suzanne Collins. Right. Suzanne Collins actually did deliberately name her cat, her character, Katniss Everdeen, after the Miss Everdeen in Fire from the Madding really? Cloud. Wow. Yes, which is quite interesting because both characters um, do not choose the conventional marriage, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and uh, are, you know, very strong, independent women, you know? So I haven't gotten far enough to see if Miss Everdeen is actually that way because we interpret her that way as a contemporary audience or if Hardy really gave her that much character. Um, the only chapter I've read so far is the one where she, in a very feckless way, writes um, a valentine, sends a valentine to a neighbor. And um, she does it thoughtlessly and because she does it thoughtlessly, I think the author does not give her any thinking. We do not know what her motivations are any more than if we were watching a movie. Mm -hmm. And I'm still trying to see if, if, I still have yet to see if Hardy will develop her with the robustness of a, that a contemporary uh, woman like Katniss Everdeen actually will actually has in the hunger yeah. games now notice i am not rereading the hunger games this is <laughs> this is i don't know if the rest of you would at this time but but i'm not <laughs> i don't think i would reread the hunger games right now but i'm not sure i would reread the hunger games anyway i'm not sure it's a series i loved enough that i would necessarily want to revisit it like it's one of those things i'm glad to have read but, but yeah, it's definitely post-apocalyptic, so it has that whole that whole vibe too. Uh, yeah, which and I, the sense that people uh, in in a bad situation will destroy each other, which I don't think we have to get back to you, Tina. Is that are people fulfilling? You said that people aren't as bad as they were in Contagion. 
I don't think people are acting post-apocalyptically. Not according, no. not not the way the the. No. Although you know, maybe because we're not really. We're not you know, post-apocalyptic. But 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 really? not oh. here in not in suburban St. John's. We're not. But maybe right. if I, I just heard a report oh. <laughs> on Canada Land about the um, the the nursing home in Dorval, oh. Montreal, oh, and I uh, thinking about that. That was, I mean, that event was straight out of a, a post-apocalyptic yeah. novel. Yeah. Though I, I abandoning the old women, uh, yeah. old people. Although I do feel a lot of sympathy for the healthcare workers who had by then contracted coronavirus themselves, mm-hmm. and still, you know, I mean, you know, you don't go out and leave people without food. You know, I just. Yeah. Yeah, not that, their fault though. Yeah. The uh, I really like the there's a a meme I think of a Tumblr post. It's pro- meme would be the wrong word. Anyhow, it's a That's screen okay. cap of uh-huh. a uh, of a Tumblr post talking about asking why we always assume that in these bad situations that everyone will be like fighting each other, where. Mm-hmm. It's just these, these aren't necessarily the base human things to return to because tending and befriending and storytelling and creating, you know, uh, finding and creating allies, that's going to be, that's just as much, you know, base behavior for humanity as, yeah. you know, everyone for themselves. And um, I just, I think it's, it's sort of like how, in any group of people, you're going to have your assholes and you're going to have your terrific people. And no matter what, I mean, that will increase by population. So the bigger population have, the more assholes you'll have in it. But the smaller, <laughs> you still have an asshole in there. And, but I don't think that we, I don't think that we should, and I don't think that we necessarily do let the assholes dictate what the rest of us do. I think yeah. we're uh, just as likely to shun the asshole rather than all of us adopt the asshole's behavior. I mean, while you can go ahead, you know, there can be that sort of sense of, you know, following the crowd. Uh, I'm not sure that the crowd is all bad. So maybe the following the crowd in a given situation might be that we're all going to see how we can help as opposed to following the crowd to see, you know, to our mutual destruction. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of, what were you going to say, Jennifer? Well, I'm thinking of that famous line by that, uh, Irish writer, which I'm going to ask you guys to now supply the, the citation. Um, uh, all happy families are alike and all unhappy families are different. Oh, it's, um, I think it's Tolstoy, actually. All happy families are alike, but each unhappy family is, is unhappy Un- in their own way. Yes, yeah. Like that. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is that it's much more interesting to write about an unhappy family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. like uh this is the thing is is when you're reading it and you say don't do that. Don't do that. The the author has a choice between good or evil. Uh, the, the the protagonist has a choice between good or evil and you're wanting them not to do the evil, but they of course do the evil. That's kind of yeah. inevitable because that makes it interesting, it's right? More interesting. And make right. the wrong choice. And um 
True. So the assumption, you know, a post-apocalyptic future where everybody works together and stays indoors and comes out and says nice things to their neighbors and cooks muffins for each other. That's yeah. really not going to make good literature. Although I would read that now. Or good movies. <laughs> I would. I'm out of that book right now. <laughs> well, David and I are uh, re-watching West Wing. Which is oh, basically yes. a group of people. Oh my who, God, that makes me more sons. depressed again. They have a good president. <laughs> oh, it's like crueler than having a read about a pandemic. <laughs> oh. When we turn it off at night, Tina, the, I we weep. turn it off I and we feel like, okay. I go to sleep happy because Jeb Bartlett is in control of the That's neighbors right. to the south. <laughs> Jeb Bartlett is president. <laughs> But it's um, basically a show about people who get along pretty well, mostly, yeah, you know, people who can work together. Sure. Um, I guess all of all of this talk about what apocalyptic man, this word is hard to say. Um, apocalyptic <laughs> literature does and doesn't do uh, brings me to Tina, who actually has not been reading escapist things, but has been reading about doom and gloom. So I want to know, Tina, what you've been reading and what you're thinking about. <laughs> well, I, I guess like you, I'm also rereading because two of the things I'm I, I've, as always, I read too many things at once and it takes me forever to read them because I'm going back and forth but I am rereading Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel and I am rereading The Age of Miracles by Karen I have read that one did you? You oh, yes, yeah, I read that years ago. You don't remember my story about how I read The Age of Miracles during Dark NL and how it was like right, the right, worst right, right. Because I, I thought you wouldn't read it for some reason, but because well, I think you'd like that. I stopped reading a uh, post. I'd like. I think you. Well, it's not really, it's not really post-apocalyptic, is it? I think really? it is, but anyway. Uh, no, but I mean, there's apocalyptic and then there's post-apocalyptic. You, yeah, you have to have gone past it, you know. Um, it's by Karen Thompson Walker, and. Um, uh, I I read those. I think you would like Station Eleven. Because, yeah, people um, have been recommending Station Eleven to me for a long time. And in 2017, I did a cutoff on not reading anything dystopian <laughs> because of a book that really traumatized me. Uh, and the world keeps getting worse and worse, so I feel like I can't cope with it. But I do want to hear your pitch for why you think I should read Station Eleven. And other people, too. Because Station Eleven is, well, two things. The pandemic that happens is not as bad. I mean, it's way worse than what we have right now. When I say we, I mean Newfoundland. I mean, in New York, I'm sure, you know, you're mired in the horror of it all. But it's still not as bad. Like in Station Eleven, basically, you know, as people start coming in the emergency room uh, in one night and, and they're all dead, like, within an hour or so. Like, so it's, it's massive and it's quick. Yeah. Um, also, the um, most of the story takes place 20 years after this has happened. So it's, it's, it is very post-apocalyptic. And there's still some, you know, obviously there's going to be hiccups and there's going to be problems and there's going to be people who try to start new worlds and things. But it's a traveling show of uh, musicians. They have a little orchestra and they, they do Shakespeare plays. They put up Shakespeare plays and have music. And they just walk around uh, from place to place to place and they, they put up these... Uh, entertainment nights for people and they um, and then I think they pass the hat around I think that's how they make it happen uh-huh. so it's very hopeful and and artistic and and you can see you know they're they're driving through you know decimated places and and they're 
they're practicing Shakespeare in there mm-hmm. and they're talking about their costumes and somebody's playing a violin and someone's playing a tuba. And so it's, it's just very, it's a different, really different look at it, I think, of it post-apocalyptic. And they, they do have flashbacks where they go back to some other things. Um, not so much, not so much the, the, the bad stuff, but uh, there is a character that they have a lot of flashbacks for, mm-hmm. um, which I kind of skip at this point. I, I really don't like those flashbacks, but anyway. Yeah. Flashbacks the age to of the time of the pandemic? Or? No, no, it's kind of pre and, and at the same time. Yeah, it's one particular mm-hmm. character and his arc, even though he, he's, he doesn't survive the beginning of the, it's kind of all flashbacks. So it comes around in the end, but I, I don't believe it's worth it. This subplot is not worth taking me away from this of, of hope. And uh, now it's all not, you know, not all roses and stuff, but it's, it's pretty hopeful. Mm-hmm. The Age of Miracles, I was just fascinated in the story, in the idea of it. And yeah. I was fascinated in the science and, and the way she did it and the way she, she just played it right up to the end. And I just find that really fascinating. And I'm also yeah. reading, I'm not rereading, I'm reading new, Joe Hill, The Fireman, which is, uh-huh. it's like a, 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 um, like a rash people get that's called Dragon Scale and people uh, catch on fire. Oh my. Burn up. And so this is this rash, but, but then um, maybe some people can control it. So again, you have these clusters of people who are helpful and nice to people. Yeah. You know, not everybody again, but you know. And so I've also been reading Furiously Happy by uh, the bloggers, Jenny Lawson. Oh, Jenny you Lawson, know, just to, yeah. Just make me laugh sometimes, you know. That's a great. Uh, yeah. But I like rereading it, I think, because, because of the, yeah, because it's not as bad. I don't know if that's, it fascinates me. I hate all the really post-apocalyptic uh, Mad Max I Cormac, Cormac McCarthy, McCarthy, the road is what you're road. going for there, I think. Yes, yeah. I, I don't, I hate that. I hate it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think, I think again, this is, uh, shows you that you don't have to do that. You can do something yeah. different. And you can have, especially if you put a pass, long pass when something's happened. And yeah, yeah. you can see the humanity in people and, and people, yeah, do, doing something like exactly what you said. Uh, doing something that's not, or was it Christine's? And both of you, yeah, yeah, yeah Christine's doing, yeah, yeah, doing and something that's not the, the worst. In yeah, the- I think I think what you're saying about Station Eleven really taps into what Christine was saying. That you know, yeah, yes, you know, there's the impulse to be assholes, but there's also the impulse to be storytellers and creators, and and you yes. know, maybe that's something that human that will survive the worst too. Right. Yeah, I and think, they don't need I think technology I'm- for it or anything. I think I'm ready to read maybe some war novels of, you know, plucky oh, Danes or plucky British, you know, <laughs> pulling Something together. About the, Blitz, the spirit of the Blitz. Yes, yeah, yeah. No. Well, it's interesting because I cannot read, like I said, dystopian, post-apocalyptic, futuristic stuff. But I, I'm okay with reading about, like, past plagues and pandemics. Like, one really? of the books I did reread um, was uh, The Weight of Ink by Rachel Kaddish, which, Jennifer, I think I gave you a copy of that. Um, yes, yes. A couple of years ago, yeah, which is mm-hmm. a, a novel I love. And part of it is set in London during the Great Plague in the 1660s. Mm-hmm. And it is so eerie rereading that now and reading about 
going out into the streets to try to find a baker's shop that's still open and the people in the streets avoiding each other because they know that it's dangerous to get too close. You know, it's it's really eerie. And I although- had forgotten that oh, yeah. that book, uh, that yeah, yeah, the element play, of the book. Yeah, really. not the main theme, but it's mm-hmm. a big part of that setting and it, it stands yeah. interesting. Yeah, the other two past plague books that I haven't reread yet, but that I, if anybody does want to read about plagues of the past and people who survived them, um, (laughs) Geraldine Brooks' Year of Wonders is really good. Uh, Again, England, 1600s, most of the village gets wiped out by plague. And also, um, oh, Connie Willis, the Doomsday Book, where a time traveler from the present goes back to medieval times and lands right in the middle of an outbreak of bubonic plague, um, which is like anything by Connie Willis. It's both serious and funny and and really thought provoking. And also, I love Geraldine Brooks. I I really had totally missed a year of wonder. Year of wonders. If you love Geraldine Brooks, you this is the moment to read Year of Wonders. Um, And the other one that's not out yet. Yeah, but that's coming out in the summer that I'm really looking forward to is uh, Emma Donahue, The Pull of the Stars, which is set oh, yeah. during the uh, the Spanish influenza epidemic of 18, oh. 1918 to 1919. Oh. By so, the way, yeah. my mom reread Trudy's book, um, uh, That Forgotten Shore, sure. because my mom what, what, what which one is it that forgiving it's the, it's, the, it's the one nobody ever gets the title right on that forgetful shore forgetful shore yeah because we keep forgetting it yeah, um a- uh, that forgetful <laughs> shore um talking about uh, that she she felt that she she couldn't remember hearing any stories from her parents uh and her great aunts and uncles about growing up during the spanish flu that it wasn't there was no oral history and surely it had made some impact on the family stories that she'd heard but she couldn't remember any and I reminded her that Trudy's book you know a character is 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 significantly impacted by the Spanish flu and Mm -hmm. my mom went back and reread that section and then turned back to the beginning and reread the whole book and enjoyed it <laughs> even more the second time than oh, she had great. read it the first. Yeah. So. I, yeah. I did. I had almost forgotten that I wrote about that. And then I went back and looked at it. But I think the reason it's not in a lot of people's memories is that the island of Newfoundland got off really lightly from the Spanish flu. It was the coastal communities in Labrador that got hit so hard. And I haven't read yet, but a lot of people have recommended to me. Um, and and Budgel's book, We All Expected to Die, which is oh. uh, nonfiction about how that flu pandemic hit the Labrador coast. And it's yeah, really? it's devastating. But in none of these books have they ever had, in my, my uh, reading anyway, a lack of toilet paper. <laughs> or uh, an idiotic president, you know. Well, I think I the, be, past if I should say that for your fans that might love him, <laughs> there have been, but I don't know. I don't think you can make. Well, they're all, it. you know, like the, the, believe the, the Middle Ages, you know, like yes, they would have right. had insane dictators, you know. Yeah, and it was still okay to back then on. just to say that we're the gonna bloodletting was die. fine. You yeah. got up and suggested bloodletting, you'd be like, okay, maybe. 
But just, you know, <laughs> injecting disinfectant, oh, not so much. I'm going to get in trouble with your, with your Trump fans who will listen to your yes, podcast. Yes, all the oh, be nobody. Trump fans who listen to my podcast. That would be nobody. Um, one more question, not necessarily plague or pandemic related, but of what you've been reading lately, I have one book recommendation that I would recommend to people. And I want to know if everyone else has maybe one recommendation, uh, either a new or a recent read. Mine, I have to say, is the only new book I have been able to read in the last month. And that is N.K. Jemison's The City We Became. And whenever I'm reading a book, I always think which of my friends would like this. I think this might be a Christine Hennebury book. Um, not, not that it's by Christine Hennebury, but it might be one that you like because it's, I, I want it, I don't know if I'd call it urban fantasy or sci-fi, but this the premise of the book is that cities can awaken and take on human avatars and the city of New York is awakening in the book um, and is taking on, uh, there's a prime avatar and then there's one for each of the five boroughs and they have to find each other and try to fight off an enemy that's trying to destroy the city. Not pandemic related, but there is something very moving about reading about New York trying to fight for its survival right now. Uh, but it's also and just a really great sci-fi. That does indeed sound like a Christine Hennebury sort of book. I think it is. You should give it a try sometime. Uh, Christine, do you have any recommendation of a book that, that you would recommend to people right now? Yes. Uh, even though I've only just started it, I think that many people I know would uh, like Sword Heart that I just started reading. So it's by, it's T. Kingfisher. That's Ursula Vernon's uh, alter ego, I guess. And it's, it's just, it's just fun and friendly uh, reading about a, a woman who is in slight peril and uh, ends up with some unexpected help. Uh, uh, so she, I don't, it would be too spoilery to explain anything else, uh, but it is uh, set in the indeterminate past. Anyhow, it's just, it's just really enjoyable, really easy um, accessible reading so I, slight peril describes exactly the level of peril i'm comfortable reading about now i want <laughs> to be in slight peril and then get out of it you must jennifer, rate your peril you? books for trudy yeah <laughs> jennifer what about um, you, Do you have a recommendation? Well, I think at the very beginning of the pandemic, I think at their first Zoom, I recommended uh, Mariana Endicott's, do I have her first oh, name Oh, Mariana right? Endicott, The Difference, my favorite the book. Difference. The Difference, yeah. which, which you gave to my mom for Christmas, and then I had just finished reading during the first part of the shutdown. And it really is beautiful. It, it is literary fiction, but also can help you escape the pandemic and yes. go on this delightful sailing trip around the world and you know because for me the impact of the pandemic is not that i'm afraid of getting sick it's actually the biggest impact is cabin fever and yes. not being able to go place interesting and realizing in my brain that i probably won't be able to travel for uh, another year you know yeah. and so I get this real sense of cabin fever in the spring that's, you know, being on the island. And this is the time when I want to go to London or go, uh, you know, and a, and a sailing trip. You know, there is a Newfoundland family who were interviewed on um, the morning show. And this is this family. I think he's got 
three kids all below 10. One of the oldest is maybe 10. And they, they're sailing in the Mediterranean and are trying to find ports that will let them come and use the markets. But they're basically hanging around in these uninhabited islands off Spain or Italy, you know, mm. and for the pandemic. And I thought, that's cool. I'd like <laughs> to do that. And, you know, if you can't do that, you can read the difference. And it's a, in the head of two young women. Uh, and the protagonist is, is a precocious and thoughtful 12-year-old at the beginning of the book. And, uh, and she's just uh, really looking at her world with a you know, critical eye and yet embracing the things that are lovely to embrace. And really, uh, it's got a, a very profound underlying message, too. That And a hopeful ending that is not like saccharine sweet, but, you yes, know. Yeah, it strikes yeah. that right note. And it is for, yeah, if you're feeling cabin fever, it is a lovely book if you just want to take a voyage around the world, especially if you'd like to take a voyage around the world on a sailing ship in 1911, yes. which I would, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it's fairly clear that Endicott really researched um, the difference between a sailing ship and a steam engine ship. Yes, because cause she does was, the later trip on a steamer and it's totally different, yeah. And and you're realizing, yeah, that's, it's actually, you only really realize how much you enjoyed being on the sailing ship when the young woman is noticing how noisy and how mechanical yeah. and how you don't really feel the water on on the uh, steam uh, steamship. What were you going to say, Christine? Oh, I just have a point of new vocabulary because when you said cabin fever, it reminded me that I was talking to my brother-in-law who's from California the other day, and he told me that he had gone a bit shack wacky. Shack wacky. <laughs> shack wacky. And I just thought that everyone should know about shack wacky because I had never heard it before. Oh my oh, goodness, man. I so much want to say I'm shack wacky instead of that I have cabin fever. That's fabulous. Much better. <laughs> um, Let's use it. Tina, what about you? Uh, before we finish up, do you have one book recommendation? Just one? Well, or, or more, or more. But, okay. you know, well, I'm going to say for two different reasons. <laughs> okay. I, I'm not against Joe Hill's book. Uh, it's just terrifying uh, what happened, you know, like that Catching on Fire thing. Oh, yeah. The and I haven't finished it. And I haven't finished it yet, so I can't say it for the whole book. But anyway, I, I would recommend What's the Station title Eleven. Again of What's the, the title fireman. Again of her? The Fireman. The okay. Fireman. It's so you're Joe not Hill. recommending that's, that's, that? No, it's, it's not on that way. I'm just not going to. Yeah. I'm yeah. just, of the ones I've been reading, Station Eleven, I would recommend uh -huh. uh, because of that. And I would recommend the Age of Miracles because I don't think I explained what the Age of Miracles was. Uh, and that is that it's the, sci it's, um, the world... Uh, the rotation of the earth slows down and it, it does slow down a bit every year, but it, it just slows down a lot more and it starts to slow down even more and even more and how that affects the earth and, and everything. And it's, it's just amazing and interesting and uh, very apocalyptic. Um, That's a really if I had to pick, if I just had to pick one, I would say station 11 because I, I do like the, yeah, I do, do like the tone of it, mm -hmm. but it's also, you know, apocalyptic. But a, a more no, uh, no, ma no masked men in, uh, you know, uh, armored vehicles running people down or anything. But 
Well, folks, there's a real callback here to the very first episode I ever did of this podcast three years ago when I had on Elaine Greeley um, and the topic of Cormac McCarthy's The Road. The other guest brought up Cormac McCarthy's The Road. And Elaine said, oh, Cormac McCarthy, frickin' barbecued babies. (laughs) And I never think of that book without thinking of frickin' barbecued babies, even though I haven't read it. To me, it's the the uber example of everything I don't want in post-apocalyptic literature. But uh, yeah, these are some actually really great and hopeful and positive and some of them very escapist recommendations. And I think they all sound wonderful. Thank you so much, everybody. Any last words? No, thank you, Trudy. It's been fun to think thank about. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dive into some of those books that you guys have recommended to. Yeah, I think, I think I might even check out Station Eleven and and the Miracle. The Age, Age of Miracles. Miracles. Jennifer, Age I don't know what it is about the, use, the the play of language sometimes in Station Eleven, but I really sometimes think Jennifer has to read this book. <laughs> oh well, then okay, I will. And you speak of it so passionately. I, I really am. <laughs> Well, as always, not just for the four of us, but for listeners as well, um, I will put a post on the blog of all the books we discussed with the author's names and links and everything. So even if we forgot who wrote a book, it'll still be up there. Um, And in the meantime, uh, enjoy whatever you're reading and try not to get too shack wacky. Folks, that wraps up my conversation with some of my best friends in the whole world, Jennifer Morgan, Christine Hennebury, and Tina Chalk, talking about what we're reading during the time of pandemic. Um, As always, of course, I'll post the show notes of what we talked about, and I hope to be back next month, either in person or more likely via Zoom, with more guests and more books to talk about. Until then, read a good book, build your shelf esteem, try not to get too shack-wacky. 